You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Assembly Call Radio is coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. Let's start with a question. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big that they feel like they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. So what if their site's annoying and doesn't have the events you want? The real question is how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? So why is SeatGeek better than the rest? Well, a quick look at the App Store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. How's that for customer satisfaction? And they get these reviews because they provide a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web. Then it rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. And finally, SeatGeek displays these deals and the tickets on an interactive seat map. So you can see exactly where you'd be sitting. SeatGeek breaks down the details. Green dots mean good deals. Red dots are overpriced. And every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. As I've told you many times, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It is by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. Uh, I found tickets for a concert my wife and I are going to go to there. I'm going to do it again later this summer because we're going to try and go to a lot of concerts this summer. Uh, So I'll be using the SeatGeek app uh, when I get those. And that's why I recommend that you should as well. And here's the thing. SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. All right. And now here is this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the never-dull world of Indiana basketball. This is our 124th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 516th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, May 30th, 2019. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud, Banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment occurred on Wednesday morning when, as expected, Indiana announced that Justin Smith, Devontae Green, and Al Durham would all be returning to school for the upcoming season. In case you missed it, each of the three players submitted their names as potential early entrants into the NBA draft. Doing so gave them the ability to engage with teams and the NBA draft advisory committee to get feedback while not jeopardizing their eligibility. The deadline to announce a return to school was Wednesday night by midnight. 
And while Justin, Devontae, and Al all currently have obvious holes in their games that made an immediate jump to the NBA unfeasible, there's no denying that each player has a huge role to play in making Archie Miller's third season at Indiana more successful than his first two. Devontae will be relied upon as a primary scoring option while teaming up with Al and Rob to form one of the best defensive backcourts in the Big Ten. Al would need to be an even more consistent threat from the outside, and he should also have more opportunities to use his ability to drive to the hole with Romeo gone. And Justin may be one of the biggest X-factors in the country. If he can more consistently perform like he did last year against, say, Michigan State, he becomes an all-conference level player. But if his shooting and up-and-down nature don't improve as a junior, then an experienced but still flawed Indiana roster won't be able to reach its potential. Underscoring the importance of the trio's return were the announcements by other high-level Big Ten players that they will also be coming back. Ohio State's Caleb Wesson, Iowa's Joe Wieskamp, Penn State's Lamar Stevens, and Maryland's Anthony Cowan all announced that they will be returning to school. All are probable all-conference selections this season. The Big Ten may not be quite as good at the top and in the middle next season as it was this past season, but it still figures to be deep with quality teams that will create a 20-game bloodbath during conference play. The Hoosiers will need all of the experienced, able bodies they have available to climb out of the murky middle and get back into the conference's upper echelon. There's no guarantee it will happen with Devontae, Justin, and Al in the fold, but it's certainly a lot more likely than if one or more of them had actually left early. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show to my left. He is a noted Packline skeptic, the president of the Justin Smith Fan Club, and someone who 99 times out of 100 will choose the NBA over college basketball, except for tonight when he is recording during when he is recording game one of the NBA Finals so that he can join us right now for an off-season discussion about IU basketball. He is Ben Ladner. Ben, what's on your mind tonight other than, say, how Pascal Siakam will be used defensively or how Golden State will try to slow down Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, no, I think you just you hit just about all of it uh, just there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm excited to, to be here with you all. You know, that's that's the beauty of, of DVR and, you know, the pause button in this day and age of of uh, television technology as you can catch up on these things. So I'm happy to do several things at once. Uh, I'll be on some double duty tonight with writing and various other, uh, you know, video calls, but I'm looking forward to it. Any, any IU basketball thoughts in the, in the few weeks since, uh, since the season ended, obviously we're going to talk about NBA draft stuff coming up, but any, anything pressing on your mind about the Hoosiers? Uh, I mean, just as far as the, you know, guys coming back to school, I don't think there are any surprises there. Um, you know, I, I believed about this time last year, um, Justin Smith might be a guy who hears his name called in, in this year's draft. I was pretty clearly wrong about that one. Um, but, you know, at some point, maybe it's possible. Devontae Green, I think, is is maybe a sneaky NBA prospect next season, like second round kind of guy, kind of like Tony Carr was uh, a couple of years ago, just because he can shoot the ball off the dribble, can score it, play some defense. We'll see with some of those guys. I like Al Durham, if he can kind of put all the pieces together, um, you know, as, as a potential NBA guy. Um, I don't know that any of them are going to be surefire hits, but you know we'll see. That's what this next year is kind of going to be for. And like you said, we'll talk about some of the, you know, maybe more um, more certain guys going to the league in Romeo and Jawan. And to my right, he is a senior writer at the Big Lead, a proud Indiana Journalism School graduate, and he's an out of work shot doctor who is quite frankly a little offended that he wasn't invited to Huber's Winery to address the assembled fans and media about how Indiana can improve its shooting woes this season. Fred, call me. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant this week? Just waiting for the phone call, guys. Uh, I, Maybe you need to be more proactive, like send some resumes, a cover letter, you know, 
I got enough work on my plate right now. I was I was getting up at three fifteen a.m. to host radio shows the last two weeks. I'm 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 kind of overloaded at this point. Um, I guess my my only uh, thing from this week was uh, Romeo deciding to stay in the draft. I think that we all expected that, um, but it officially sort of ended his time at IU. And I think that if you look at it, you have to look at it as a positive for IU, given that he opened the door for other five-star prospects to, to consider and jump on what Archie Miller and his staff are, are selling. Uh, if he goes off and has a great career in the NBA, he's going to be a guy who people will look at as a part of Archie's story and, and his ability to, you know, I guess, develop a, a, a top-level player. Um, I've heard some rumblings that he's moving up uh, the draft boards a little bit as teams interview him. They're really liking him. Now, I don't know how high he's going to go. I expect him to go in the lottery, but you, you never really know once the, the picks start going, especially in that 7 to 17 range, you never know where guys are going to go because a lot of trades start to happen where teams fall in love with their guy and move up, and and that just kind of throws everybody's plans um, out of whack. So, I think that we'll we'll see what happens there, but I think he, you know, if he did fall into the middle of the first round, that might actually be a benefit to him because he might be on a team that he could really make an impact on, as far as you know, maybe being a guy who comes off the bench as a rookie to affect a game, as opposed to a starter who is expected to turn things around immediately for a bad team. So it might actually wind up being a better fit if he goes a little later. Obviously, the money isn't as much, but um, you look at a guy like OG Ananobi, and last year he fit into a really good situation in Toronto. Obviously, this year up and down and then injured uh, with that, uh, was it's an appendix injury. His appendix burst. Appendix burst. Yeah, we Jeez. found that out this week. But he had appendix surgery, and uh, you know that really derailed his development. Uh, so we'll see um, what happens with Romeo. But I mean, I appreciated his time in in uh, Bloomington, and and uh, I think he's going to be a guy who everybody can look at as a success story uh, under Archie Miller. At, as far as you know, guys who are looking at going to the next level, uh, they could see a guy in in Romeo who did his you know played his time developed as a player and uh you know even though he's playing through an injury and and moved on and got drafted and was successful in the nba hold those thoughts about his potential draft position because we're going to talk about that some in our second segment um that's one of the one of the topics coming up tonight uh in the rest of this segment we're going to talk about the comments that archie miller made also that don fisher made uh at huber's winery uh, on wednesday evening and then, of course, at the end in our final segment, we will answer your questions. All of that and more coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. So, guys, let's talk about what happened at Huber's Winery. You know, we don't hear a lot from Archie Miller. Uh, you know, if he doesn't have to talk to the media, he's not one to go out and seek opportunities to talk to the media. So when this annual event comes around, we're all kind of waiting with bated breath to hear what the coach has to say. And, you know, it's interesting. I was talking Alex Bozich and I talked about this on podcast on the brink you know his first Huber's winery it was you know it's all kind of fresh he's the new coach hey you know I know where New Albany High School is then the second Huber's winery we're basking in the afterglow of you know Romeo Langford committing and you know from people who were there it didn't necessarily sound like anything felt different at the event but it's certainly just kind of from my vantage point, you know, it, it feels a little bit different now where there's just not quite that same excitement that there was at this time the last couple of years. And that's obviously because Indiana has missed the NCAA tournament two years in a row and we got to get back to winning again. Um, and so, uh, you know, 
we all kind of watch the video, parse the comments to try and see what we can learn. I'm curious what jumped out to you. I'll tell you what jumped out to me first. And this is the very first thing when I, you know, kind of rushed to watch the video and, and look at the transcripts. What did he say about Jerome Hunter? And what can we read into what he said about Jerome Hunter? You know, and it's basically that, you know, Jerome's had some increased activity, but still, I think the quote was far, far away from any indication or final decision on his availability for next season. Now, he did, you know, kind of mention him in some lineup, you know, projections and that kind of thing. But, you know, Ryan, did you do you take anything from that? You know, have you, you know, we all want to know when Jerome's going to be back. But it sounds like, yeah. again, as we've been saying, we're just going to have to wait until closer and closer to the season to get any type of indication and that's obviously one of the biggest question marks and one of the biggest x factors for this entire season i feel like we'll know sometime in august whether or not he can play this year um i don't sense that jerome's going to transfer uh there was some worry that if he didn't get cleared at indiana he might transfer go elsewhere get a second opinion but really uh, i I, yeah there was uh, some rumblings about that and i have not heard anything on that uh i've talked to some people who know jerome say he's fully committed to iu he loves iu uh, doesn't want to go elsewhere, and uh, you know he feels like they've got his best interests in mind. Uh, it's going to be an interesting thing because I think this team, talent-wise, is depending a lot on Jerome Hunter next year. And while he's been able to play, he hasn't been able to play against competition, and that's a big deal. And that's how you get better: is you play against other players. You don't play against you know playing in an empty gym doesn't make you better. Um, it can help you refine some things and help you get a little, you know, improve tweaks to, you know, maybe become a better ball handler, improve tweaks to your shot and stuff like that. But you do not be, take steps forward as a better player unless you're playing against solid competition. So, um, it, it, that this will be an interesting year. Um, I think we all just hope he's healthy. First of all, second of all, you really want to get him back competing with other players as soon as possible. Um, and, and, you know, I, I have a feeling we'll know sometime around August as as guys start to uh, ramp up for the fall. Uh, you know, being on campus for the fall, and um, I'm sure that most of the players are going to be there all summer. But uh, I, I think Jerome is a guy who not only does he want to be back, his teammates want him to be back because they know what he can bring to the table. So it, it's it's going to be an interesting development. It's going to be a long summer in that regard because we're going to be sitting around waiting to find out. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, it's not like Indiana has a, a full roster of scholarship players. I mean, that was one of the other storylines coming out, Ben, is, you know, only yeah, 11 scholarship important. players. And, you know, look, that's not necessarily by choice. They went after Anthony Harris. They went after Keon Brooks. They went after Lester Canones. Like Archie would have happily filled those scholarships with either, you know, another grad transfer or a four-year player that, you know, that he really believed in, but he's clearly not just going to fill it with anybody and really kind of spun it as, you know, the one benefit of not having given out all the scholarships is you have some flexibility. If a transfer comes available mid-season, transfer comes available in the summer, you know, you might have an opportunity to get him, which is good. And in this day and age of college basketball, that's a good thing. You know, the worry though, Ben, is especially coming on the heels of a season where 13 scholarship players plus a walk-on starter captain wasn't really enough to get you through the season. Now you're entering this season with potentially 11 scholarship players and one that is a major question mark whether he can even play. So where do you come down on the comfort level of liking the flexibility and, and you know, liking not just filling the back end of the roster with any old person that you find at an AAU event, which has certainly happened here in the recent past, 
but also with the worry of, hey, we still have to get through a season and have enough bodies. Yeah, that was that was the point that I was going to bring up is, is kind of what stood out to me from that uh, that media session is, you know, it's 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 kind of easy to forget about. But it, you're right. Indiana still does not have that full roster yet. And, you know, it is it is kind of this this balance between it, it's nice having the flexibility. Things are still kind of open if you find a really good player on the transfer market or, or you know, anywhere else you can bring him in and you can get a really good guy to add to your team. The downside is a lot of the good guys are already gone. And also, you know, if, if you're bringing him in in June, July, you know, how, I don't know how late, you know, that this thing is going to go, uh, you know, at, at what point do you maybe risk team chemistry? How hard does it become to kind of integrate that guy into the team and get him kind of up, up to speed with your system and with the team and everything like that. So that's a really tricky balance to strike. And like you said, the depth, like the top end talent, I don't know is going to be there this year. Um, you know, and like you said, last year, having the guys that they did have still wasn't enough. And, and now they have even less. So it is a little bit of a tricky situation. I think, you know, Archie's right. And, and he's, he's being honest when he says we're going to keep our, our options open. But I have to imagine the coaching staff and Archie are at this point kind of wondering, like, where is this guy going to come from? I'm sure they have, you know, the, the avenues that they're going to go down. They're going to explore every path they can. But uh, right now, it's tough to see exactly where those next two spots are going to come from. Um and, you know, with the, with the guys they've got right now on the roster, I think at this point, that's kind of what you've got to work with because anyone that you're going to add, you know, I don't think there's any identifiable, clear option that's going to slot into one of those two spots. So I think for fans, for media, you know, when you're evaluating this team, I think it's, it's best to maybe just look at what they have now and say that's what you're working with. Ryan, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that, you know, whether this is what they wanted or not, this is what they're doing. So, and, and, you know where it is um it's going to be 11 players 11 scholarship players potentially 10 with the jerome hunter situation playing out um and walk-ons and and look i i think the only way they add another player for next season is if there's a 2020 guy who who they get to commit any reclassifies uh as race thompson did that's the only way they're going to add to this roster or unless somebody pops off as a transfer at the last minute um, and again, that would probably be a practice body because they probably have to sit out. So uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out with 11 guys and potentially 10, um, which means you, you got to rely on walk-ons. You got to rely on, especially in practice, you got to rely on other guys and, and you got to stay healthy. And those are the big things. And again, things that the team struggled with this year. So uh, health is going to be paramount to this team, even if they you know, do get Jerome Hunter back. I was also interested to see that uh, Don Fisher made some nice comments, kind of admonishing all of the hate that is being directed at the coach. Uh, I hope when Don uh, starts doing his weekly radio shows again, that when he does that tour, he makes sure to tell all the hosts of those shows uh, kind of the same thing, make that same point to them. You know, and Archie made some interesting points about, you know, kind of being his own biggest critic and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, who... I'm sure the people who were in that audience weren't necessarily the ones who needed to hear that message. But when it comes from Don Fisher, hopefully people uh, people take it seriously. But the one other topic that I well, want to face it, everybody hears those comments, though, in the fan base, because it's Indiana. Yeah. They all get disseminated immediately. So. Yes. So pay attention to, you know, to Coach Fisher, like criticize, but 
yeah, none of the hate, none of the, none of the craziness that we see. The other thing that was talked about, Ben, was you know Archie really liking the flexibility of the front court with Deron Davis, obviously Joey Brunk now as a graduate transfer, Trace Jackson Davis, who it sounds like Archie thinks can really play the four and play with those two guys. You know, there have been some questions: Can he shoot it enough? Or are you going to basically be playing with two non-shooters if Trace is out there? Um, and then of course you've got Race Thompson, and then you know Justin Smith. You know, where we're not really sure, can he shoot enough to play the three? Is he going to have to play more of the four? What, as you kind of peer into the future and look at Indiana's front court, which obviously has a lot of talent and ability, how do you see the pieces fitting together and the minutes being allocated? Uh, man, that's, I, I don't, I don't know that I have a clear answer right now. It's going to be really interesting. I think one of the, the most interesting things to track all season because I don't think that they do have enough shooting, you know, to, I don't think any of those guys you're talking about as playing the four or five or anywhere in that front court are going to be guys who space the floor. And if they are, it's not going to be someone who commands the defense's respect, even if they can step out and hit an open three. So, you know, you're, you're basically dealing with kind of a cramped floor, but they did that last year and, and it worked okay because they had guys like Jawan Duran who were really skilled. And I think with trace, you're getting a guy who I don't think he's as skilled as Jawan. I don't think he'll, you know, maybe ever be as skilled as Jawan Morgan was, who was one of the most skilled low post players I've ever seen. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's ever going to be that level of guy, but I do think that there is enough combined passing IQ, just intelligence and feel in that front court, especially with Trace Jackson Davis and Deron Davis, that you can kind of work through some of those, those issues you might have with a lack of spacing because those guys are going to be able to, you know, work within tight spaces better than someone um, who's a little less skilled, a little less savvy, might be able to Justin Smith and race Thompson is going to be a really interesting positional battle. I think, because I would guess that, that Justin will probably have the edge to start at the four coming out of, you know, the preseason and, and going into the, the start of the year. But I don't think that, that he has that spot locked down by any means. And it could be trace Jackson Davis slotting in there and starting at the four by mid season. It could be race Thompson, you know, taking up a lot of those backup and maybe even starting power forward or center minutes. Um, because I, I really liked what I saw from him last season. And I think he's a really good defensive guy that you'd like to have out there. A little bit different brand of defense than Justin Smith offers. So maybe it's going to be one of those things where you you judge it by opponent and, and it's you know maybe five minutes for Justin on one night and 25 the next night, depending on how guys are going and, and what teams you're playing against. So that's going to be a really interesting thing for them to sort out because I think the, the backcourt's actually going to work out pretty nicely. I think you know in this age, you can play three guards basically and get away with it against most opponents. So I don't think that'll be too much of an issue and that'll allow them to get some more shooting on the floor by playing three guard lineups in the front court. I think they're going to have a little bit more difficulty sorting things out because I don't know that any of those guys, Justin Smith, race Thompson, even Jerome Hunter, if he plays, I don't know that any of them are going to be, you know, perimeter oriented three men right away next season. Yeah. I think that, that, it's just it's going to be one of those things that sorts itself out. It's going to be who's playing harder, who's playing better, and most most importantly, who's playing best on the defensive end. We've seen that with Archie Miller. That's going to be who plays is who plays defense, and then if they're all playing defense, who can contribute the most on the offensive end? I think they'll all obviously get significant minutes because they kind of all have to. Um, I'd rather get a great twenty minutes out of Deron Davis than an okay thirty minutes if if he can only go that long. So if that happens, that means that Joey Bronk, that means that Trace Jackson Davis, that means that race Thompson all are going to get their chance at the at that you know backup center post position whatever you want to call it uh since you know we're so far away from center power forward small forward being an assigned uh title anymore it's just five guys who all play different you know roles so um i i would say i think that it's going to be one of those things that sorts itself out and who wants it most
just to kind of add one more thing off of that, I like that point about, you know, maybe keeping the minute totals low for a lot of those guys and just 15 to 20 minutes for each of them without overtaxing any of them and keeping them on the floor for 25 to 30. Yeah, and also if a guy like Duran is going off in a game, maybe yeah. you stick him out there for longer because he's in the, in a zone. But you know, rather than having him go, oh, Indiana University's calling. Indiana University's calling me for money right now. I think <laughs> they, are they upset with our broadcast so far. <laughs> I don't know. It's the first time I've ever gotten a call from Indiana University while we should we've been answer broadcasting. It. You should answer <laughs> it live on air. Oh man, uh, I don't have a way to pipe the audio in though, so that would be really awkward. Okay. Uh, coming up here on the assembly call, we are going to take a deeper look at how Romeo and Juwan's NBA draft prospects are shaping up. Will Romeo be a lottery pick? Will Juwan get drafted? Which franchises would be the best fits for each? And how does each project at the next level? We'll discuss. Stick with us. This is Verdell Jones. What's better than an epic buzzer beater? The full court dribble and perfectly placed pass to set it all up. And of course, celebrating with Hoosier Nation afterwards. So join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Verdell. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcasts or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Jared Morse. I'm here with Ben Ladner and Ryan Phillips. And guys, let's talk about the NBA draft. It's coming up in three weeks. Uh, Thursday, June 20th, I believe, is the date. Obviously, we mentioned off the top of the show, uh, you know, Justin Smith, Devontae Green, Al Durham all put their names in, took their names out as expected. Romeo Langford kept his name in the draft. And of course, Juwan Morgan uh, is draft eligible after graduating. So we'll get to Juwan in a second. You know, he's, I don't think any of us really expect him to be drafted right now. He's not really on a lot of big boards. So we'll kind of project out what his future may be. But let's start talking about Romeo. Uh, and, you know, Ryan, you talked about in the first segment, uh, you know, it seems like he might be moving up a little bit after interviews. I did a little just kind of survey of some mock drafts. Yeah. SI dot that real quick. People are concerned about his hand and his shooting, but they love what they have from the interviews, what they have garnered yeah. from the interviews, and they've watched tape of him from before this year and feel better about him than they did from watching tape at Indiana because he couldn't shoot. And and so that's the difference here is that People are actually, they like him in the interview. And so they're like, all right, well, let's go back and watch his high school highlights before he hurt himself. And they do like his aggressiveness in, in going to the hole and finishing things and, and the way he sort of progressed at that throughout the year. Yep. Um, so SI.com has him going number 15 to Detroit. ESPN has him number 15. NBA draft.net number 16. Sam Bassini has him number 18 on his big board. And the ringer was the highest that I saw. They had him going number 13 to the Miami Heat. So it seems like maybe he gets late lottery, probably mid-teens. Ben, as you look at some of the teams that seem like possibilities for Romeo, what do you think is the best fit? And then, you know, just in terms of how he projects to the next level, you know, the biggest strength that, you know, is going to get him drafted at that spot and maybe other than shooting, because we all know about that as a weakness, what are some of the other weaknesses that are holding him back from being a surefire lottery, surefire lottery guy? Yeah, I think that 10 to 19 range is about right for maybe even 12 to 19. Um, you know, Charlotte at 12, I actually like they've got a, they've, they've drafted a lot of guards the last couple of years. But if they lose Kemba Walker and they need to, you know, kind of fill that backcourt in those minutes, 
you know, maybe he's a guy that could step in and do that. Can't uh, draft that, enough Big Ten players if you're. That's sure, right, right. That's right. That's <laughs> uh, right. The Heat at 13, you know, obviously their their culture of of work and kind of the grind down there is is famous. And Eric Spolster, I think, is one of the best coaches in the NBA. So, um, you know, maybe you get him in that kind of system, and he and he kind of gets to, you know, like Ryan said, he gets to come into a, a team that's not going to be a contender, but is going to be competing for a playoff spot, and he's not going to come in expected to be the guy and the guy who's going to turn things around immediately or get, get, you know, the bulk of the usage right away. So I I really think any of those teams in that range, you touched on a lot of them. The Pacers are sitting there at 18, you know, would obviously be a a nice story to see him kind of stay in state. Um, But would they they pass on him if he fell that far? I don't think so. And, and that kind of, that's kind of the the question I have with Romeo, or at least it leads into it um, is like Ryan said, I think he is a guy that, that is going to benefit from being, you drafted later in the lot in the lottery or in the first round uh, and not being the guy right away. But I think the same is true of most guys in these drafts in, in this draft. I, I'm not so high on a lot of these guys other than like Zion and John Moran. I, I think those are really the only two guys I would bet on to be all-stars from this class. Now someone will pop from later in the first round or somewhere in the lottery, you know, it, that wing, tr- uh, you know, group of, of guys that are going to be in the in the lottery one of those guys i'm sure will blossom into an all-star but i i, I couldn't peg and, and tell you which one it's going to be so ty jerome <laughs> so if Kevin you're a gm Porter. if you're an executive <laughs> and you feel that way and you feel like hey maybe none of these guys are really all that special and worth spending you know a, a top five pick in a normal draft on maybe that changes the thinking a little bit for a guy like romeo because like ryan said the interviews have been good you know apparently there's reason to believe, I think, in his shot before he got to Indiana. I think there is reason to believe that once he gets that hand worked out, he will be a better shooter. And so maybe this is a draft where you say, we don't really love the talent beyond the top two guys. So if we have a mid to late lottery pick, maybe you take a risk and you, and you draft a guy like Romeo a little earlier than a lot of these mocks have him going just because you're betting on your ability to develop that jump shot, get the best out of him as an offensive player, as a guy who can be a playmaker, finisher at the basket and and you know eventually a three-level scorer the defense I, I think if you want to talk about weaknesses i think defensive engagement is a big one just learning kind of the ins and outs of nba defense i, I would not expect him to be a remotely good defender his rookie year because most rookies aren't um, and for a guy like romeo who just i don't think has ever really been taught the, the principles and the, the style of of defense that you need to have in the nba i don't think he's really been drilled with that yet so that could be a, an adjustment for him. The jump shot, obviously, right now is, is a work in progress. But again, I think this is a draft where if you feel like you're the team that can develop a guy and you really see something in, in a particular player that maybe other teams are missing, maybe this is a draft where you take a risk and you take him in that 8 to 10 range rather than you know 13 to 18. How concerned are you about his struggles in transition? Because he was really ineffective in transition. And I've seen that mentioned in a few of the recent scouting reports that I've seen. It's almost like as people go deeper into the film, that jumps out. Because it really jumped out to me. Because I was yeah. really surprised that he wasn't better in those situations. How, how Especially important with as good a finisher as he was in the half court. Yeah. Right. I think that's the, the difference there between transition and half court finishing maybe is that in the half court, you have a little bit more opportunity for kind of those crafty finishes off the glass and you know the, the spins and the English you know, maybe maybe outsmarting guys rather than out jumping them. Whereas in transition, I think a lot of it is just you're running in a straight line, the defender's running in a straight line, and it's kind of just meet you at the basket. And Romeo's not an elite athlete laterally or vertically. He can get up and, and sometimes put it down, but he's not super explosive. He's Solid not super athlete, fast. Good athlete, not an elite athlete. Right. Basically. So I think you see that in transition, where transition is, you know, in the NBA, unless you're spotting up for three, 
um, and, and you're doing kind of a Splash Brothers, Golden State Warriors style of, of transition, it's, it's toward the basket. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to finish over or through guys at the basket. And I think just his lack of physicality and his lack of elite athleticism were probably the factors that contributed to that. I don't know that he'll ever be like a, an amazing finisher in transition in the NBA, but you know, if he is one of those guys that can develop a jump shot and instead of running to the basket in transition, he's running out to the wing or to the corner that changes things for him a little bit. And, and maybe sometimes he's the guy handling the ball in transition and he's distributing or, or, you know, he's, he's leading the break and not necessarily finishing it. So I think that is a concern, but really in the NBA, I, I think half court finishing is a more valuable skill than transition. Yep. just because of how often you do it. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to have 10 opportunities a game to finish in transi- transition. You might have 10 opportunities a game to finish layups in the half court. Yeah, I, th- I think when you're looking at Romeo, I think Ben's right that the Charlotte Hornets are a great fit at 12, but it looks like they're looking at more of a forward or a, a sort of a post guy, uh, which is weird because they just seem to stack those guys. Um, Miami, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Boston, you never know what they're going to do with those extra picks they get. They could just stockpile more talent. They could just go for a European guy and stash him. Um, hey, we could and, get lots of Bill Simmons opinions on Romeo Langford if yeah. he goes there. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Um, <laughs> the The Pistons are a good fit because they need help on the wing. I mean, they badly need help on the wing after getting rid of Reggie Bullock, um, who may not have resigned anyway. But you know, then of course there's like Brooklyn, and if he if he's on the board at 18 for the Pacers. I'm sorry, Indiana. Take even if you're not in love with him, take the PR win as you did with Victor Oladipo and let him develop. Let him develop close to home with IU right down the road where he's comfortable with New Albany right there. I think it'd be a great, great fit if he's there. I also think they need help on the wing too. Um, but if you're looking at pure fit, I, I also think that uh, the the guys that that he's really competing against, if you're looking at sort of a wing player in this draft that falls in the same area of skill as as Romeo are Cam Reddish, Kevin Porter Jr. from USC, who uh, is a, a better athlete and probably a better shooter. So you're going to see him go after those guys. It's going to be Cam Reddish and then Kevin Porter, who is both of those guys are having great workouts apparently and showing stuff they didn't show uh, when they played. So he's probably going to be the third of those guys. Obviously, Jarrett Culver is another guy, but he's going way above the other, the other two, the other three, it seems. Um, so you're going to see Romeo fall into that sort of 13 to 18 range, it looks like. Um, and you know what? He's a guy who came to IU, maybe sacrificed some of his draft stock by playing injured. He could have sat out. He could have done what he could have done what Darius Garland did. And Darius Garland had a meniscus injury and just said, as soon as it got hurt, he said, I mean, they probably could have come back that year, but last year, but he just said, no, I'm shutting it down. I'm going into the NBA draft, which Darius Garland is projected to go in the top five. So, you know, Romeo fought through it. And I think that showed a lot of toughness. And I think there's a team out there somewhere who will like that and like that he battled and like that he risked his own, uh, you know, he sacrificed some of his own potential, you know, status or uh, in the draft uh, to make a team better. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we won't know till draft line. I'm sure we'll get more of an idea as it approaches, but man, if he's on the board at 18 and you're the Pacers, you got to take him. You just have to, that would be so perfect. He and Victor on the wing together, then go out and trade for Cody Zeller, man, Get bring you them on, all. bring Yogi. Bring all Come all. on, do it. <laughs> um, so let's talk real quick about Juwan. Again, none of us expect him to get drafted 
Ben, he seems like a pretty obvious like summer league get a contract type guy, right? Sure. Like, do you do you think that he's a guy who will be in the G League next year, or do you think that he'll need to go over and start his career overseas? I think he'll be in the G League, or I think he's at least good enough to be in the G League. He's a guy that needs to rework his game for sure. You know, he's not going to be able to eat up 15, 20 post touches a game uh, at the pro level. It's just not really the way the game's played. Uh, he's there are a lot of guys who are better at that than he is, and and really. In the NBA, if you're going to be one of those guys, you got to be elite. You got to be Carl Towns, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, and Joan yeah, Morgan is not those guys. They're better and bigger. That's the right. other thing. It's just not going to be his game. It can't be. So he's a guy that needs to, obviously, the jumper is the big thing for him. It always has been. I do think he has a little bit more versatility than he showed uh, this past season at IU just because he was kind of confined to the low post for most of the year and wasn't really asked to guard in space. He wasn't really asked to space the floor all that much. I think those are things that he can do in time. It just might take him a little bit to get there. He, to me, he kind of he he seems like one of those guys who's going to turn up in, you know, on a, a a contending team two years from now, and you know, it's like where did this guy come from? And they plucked him out of the G League and signed him into a two way contract, and he ends up being really good. I could also see him, you know, being kind of a a fringe guy on a mediocre team. It, it really the range of outcomes for a guy like him who isn't probably going to get drafted, it's just so wide. And I think a smart team will pick him up because he's a smart player. I think he's a skilled player, but he does need to to work on those things that I mentioned, guarding in space, shooting the three. I think his playmaking is going to be fine at the next level. He's a guy that can you know make plays out of the short roll, make smart passes in space, you know, read the defense a little bit better than a lot of rookies will be able to. Um, but really, like I said, it just comes down to that jump shot. And, and it, it sounds like, you know, everyone sounds like a broken record saying that, but that really is kind of the swing skill for him. And for him, it, it's a really big swing that could occur. For both yeah, he could, and Romeo, I mean, yeah, right. and I could I could see Juwan maybe going over and and playing in Europe for a year or something. Uh, if if he doesn't like any of his options in the G League, I expect him to be on a summer league roster. I expect him to get offers for the G League, but he's the kind of guy with that level of skill and all that who winds up in like three years. He's like on the bench for the Spurs and comes up huge. Right. Off game out of nowhere. Um, I, I just I think that's a great fit for him. He as, seems like he'd be a, a great Spurs player. Yeah, like, no, he seems really like does. the perfect fit. I always said I thought Yogi would have been great for the Spurs, but they already had their guy like that in, uh, in Patty Patty Mills. Mills. So, yeah. uh, but I always thought that would be a phenomenal fit. But um, I don't know. I, I think the uh, I, I think that he's not going to get drafted. I don't think, and I think that he's going to wind up on a roster in the NBA at some point. Uh, last draft question, just kind of for fun, Ben, who is your, your NBA draft sleeper? That's going to be kind mm. of a low pick, but that you really like, you would put some money on right now being a, yeah. maybe not an all-star, but a really solid contributor. You really no. want to say no, <laughs> no. At this point, I feel like Ty Jerome might not even be a sleeper anymore. You know, he's being talked about, uh, maybe as a pretty high pick, yeah. you know, I haven't done all my, uh, my draft research quite yet. Um, so I, I don't think there's a, any guy that jumps to mind. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always a big fan of those guys that can come in and, and defend multiple positions right away. I liked Melvin Frazier a lot last year. Uh, I think, you know, he, he didn't really get a ton of opportunity in, in Orlando and, and he's going to be kind of a multi-year, uh, project, but I, I still kind of like him as a, as a prospect, just his, his ability to guard. I, those types of guys are generally who I gravitate toward. Um, I do like Ty Jerome a lot. So I, I guess, uh, there you go. There, there's, there's the answer you were looking for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, aside from that, I don't know that there's a, a single kind of sleeper guy that I would look for. Maybe, uh, you know, being a, a UNC fan, I might I might look to a guy like Cam Johnson, just someone who can come in, shoot the ball, Shooter. has good size at 6'9", decent passer, 
Um, you know, not the greatest defender, but can maybe be passable and guard a couple different positions on that end of the floor. Um, and, and again, you know, just a, a big guy who can shoot is super valuable in today's NBA. And I think there are a lot of teams that he could come right in on late first round, early second round, uh, and be a, a pretty solid kind of rotation shooter off the bat. Yeah, it, uh, Johnson is a guy who would be much higher on draft boards if he wasn't already 23. Right. Uh, I, I think. Um, I like uh, I like Eric Paschall as an early second-round pick for somebody. He's a veteran, been through the wars, knows what he's doing, and you know has the brain, basically, to be a good NBA player. Um, I like, I, I do like Cam Johnson. I like Grant Williams a little bit, even though I don't know how he's going to fit in the NBA because of it, he's undersized. Um, and I also like Lugans Dort out of, out of Arizona state. He's a high volume scorer with a lot of athleticism. I think he'd fit really well on like the, the trailblazers or a team like that, that really knows how to use its guards. I think he'd develop really well there. Um, but Cam Johnson's a great answer. Cause I think he's a guy who could get way better uh in the nba i think he could actually be a better nba player than he was a college player because of how much shooting is valued yeah okay uh coming up in our third segment as we always do we are going to answer your questions we got a lot of good ones so we saved a couple extra minutes uh for that segment uh we got one from kent really good about some different styles that indiana could play so really interested to get ben and ryan's thoughts on that and then one from Ivan Rinko asking us to reminisce a bit. So we'll do that coming up on the Assemble Call. This is Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of the Assembly Call. Thank you, Jordan. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ben Ladner and Ryan Phillips. Remember that you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason. And after every game, we send out a detailed postgame analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. All right, guys, it's time for the mailbag. All of these questions were submitted in our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. The first one is from Kent. He said, I've seen some discussions lately about IU playing with two bigs together and, quote, tackle basketball in the Big Ten and Big Ten stuck in the 1990s, etc. So he's wondering what different styles of offense and defense will provide success, winning championships, in today's game. Virginia won with three-point shooting and pack line D. Villanova won with three-point shooting. North Carolina won with a strong point guard, but not much three-point shooting. What different formulas could work for IU in today's game once they're back in the hunt for a title? He said he's asking more about the offense that could work, but understands that the defense is important too. So Ben, why don't you hit leadoff here? Anybody who's watched the Basketball 201 segments knows your misgivings about the pack line, so feel free to take that if you want to. Uh, but which, what styles do you think could get Indiana back to where we all want them to be? Yeah, well, I mean, as we've seen, the pack line is a perfectly viable defense to run to win a championship. Virginia just did it. Um, the only thing is that it just it reduces your margin of error, and you have to be really, really good on defense and make fewer mistakes than basically anybody else to to kind of pull it off. Um, so it's it's possible, obviously, um, but you know it is it's a little more difficult to do. That said, I think offensively, um, you know, I, I think what I've come to believe over the last couple months. Uh, is that you really do, unless you have just an absolute superstar like a Zion Williamson or you know a, a trio of of wings and and kind of blue chip guys like Duke had this year, um, or unless you're getting just you know 
elite wings or big guys coming out of high school or you know even three four year guys you really do need a, a dynamic point guard i think that's that, that's the biggest key maybe the, the biggest sort of blanket statement you can make about the elite teams in college basketball is nearly all of them have a dynamic point guard who can shoot off the dribble set guys up you know run the team in transition not all of them are great defenders but many of them are many of them are, are kind of good point of attack guys who can steer the the, the you know the offense the opposing offense in the direction that team wants it to go um so i think that's kind of the biggest key and and that's why i look at a lot of guys like rob finnessy al durham Devonte green for indiana is the biggest keys next season because if one of those guys pops and becomes you know a really dynamic guy in that backcourt that can make a world of difference for indiana um I, I think floor spacing is another big thing you know just as the game continues to evolve you need more and more of that i don't think you can ever have have too much floor spacing um yeah, and I think having multiple guys who can make plays, you know, because because you don't want to become too predictable. I think you can get away with that a little bit more in the college game because if you have someone like Cassius Winston, for example, he can just elevate the rest of the team so much that you know he makes everyone so much better. You can get to a Final Four, you can succeed uh, in that way. But for the most part, it, it takes a really special player to be able to do that. So having some 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 guys who can attack closeouts, you know, work from the second side operate in the pick and roll, even if they're not your primary initiator. I think that's really useful. And then just versatility, you know, having multiple different styles you can play. You know, the question is kind of what style works the best, but I really think being able to play multiple styles, you know, I, I look at a team like Michigan from a couple of years ago where they are able to, to kind of play bigger with, with Mo Wagner in the lineup next to DJ Wilson. It was at that time, but they were also able to downsize a little bit and play smaller, more athletic lineups with, you know, guys like Zach Irv and Duncan Robinson at the four and be a little faster, a little more dynamic, more shooting on the floor, um, and just being able to kind of shape shift like that. I don't think that's something Indiana was really able to do last season. They were going to play through the post, you know, be physical, try to try to use their bigs and just kind of do what they wanted to do. And, you know, that that that's perfectly fine if you have the talent to be able to pull that off. But sometimes I think you do need to be able to play different styles. I think Texas Tech was a good example of that this season. I actually think Virginia was a, a good example. They were able to, to play big with multiple bigs on the floor, also able to downsize, play DeAndre Hunter at the four, um, and, and play faster, more shooting on the floor, things like that. So I think those are maybe some some keys I would point to as far as you know what sort of DNA you need as a team to win at the highest levels. Ryan? I think if you're going to give a basic answer these days, it's you need to be able to shoot the basketball uh, because you erase a lot of errors when you can shoot the basketball. You erase a lot of if you have a bad possession, but somebody gets open and can can wing it from three and nail it, it, it can make up for a really bad possession. I think that you play less one-on-one -on -one basketball when you can shoot as well because everybody can contribute. Um, it, it felt like a lot of times over the last couple of years, Indiana would play one-on-one -on -one basketball and it'd be one guy when the shot clock got down to 10 driving on his man and everybody shading over. And if he couldn't pass it to somebody else or finish in traffic, that was the offense. It was over. Um, I think that, that also it allows for lapses on defense and, and, in the college game, you're going to get lapses on defense. These are college kids. They're not professionals. Even the professionals have lapses on defense. If you have a lapse on defense and leave a guy open for a three and can answer that three, it stunts momentum. And it, and it, it can actually uh, spin it in your favor. I think that's something Indiana did not have this year. So there were a couple games in that losing streak where just one big three that they couldn't answer wound up hurting them tremendously. So I think the three-point shooting is important. Uh, I think, obviously, as Ben said, a point guard play is, is huge. 
and defense is huge. You have to be able to stop the opposing team from imposing their will on you. Um, so I think those are the two most important things if you're looking at. Obviously, it helps to have a big guy, particularly in a tournament setting. It helps to have a big guy who could just plant himself in the post. Not necessarily a pure big guy, but somebody who can post up and get you easy buckets. When you're that tired in a tournament setting, playing that many games in a short period of time in high leverage situations, getting easy buckets in the paint is vitally important because it keeps your offense going. Um, and, and most championship teams have that balance, have a shooter, at least one you know, pure shooter and somebody who can get inside and get them easy buckets. All right. Um, good answers, fellas. Uh, this question from Ivan Renko. We always love getting questions from Ivan Renko. Ben, do you know who Ivan Renko is? Just curious. The name actually rings a bell. I'm sure I've you know, seen him come up on Twitter at some point or another, but I don't know exactly who he is. You need to go research the legend of Ivan Renko. Okay. And I will send you some links, but you need to know. Sounds good. You, yeah, you need to know about Ivan Renko. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's a great story. Now uh, that you're an alum, we can allow you to do <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So Ivan says, it would be interesting for you guys to reminisce a bit just for fun. What has been your all-time favorite IU basketball game in which you were in attendance at Assembly Hall? Mine is the 2011 Kentucky game for obvious reasons, and the 2013 Michigan game would probably be second. Both amazing games. Curious to hear your favorite game. You guys have heard me talk about being there for the IU Northwestern game in 93 when Calvert broke the record. That maybe not the best game because Indiana blew them out, but it was certainly the best memory uh, and just tons and tons of games from that era for me. I won't go down all of them. Ryan, we know the Duke game. Marco that's not my favorite that's right, the well, best yeah. atmosphere i've ever been a part of okay but so what was your favorite and then we'll get ben's that's the best moment too uh i actually think it's this year's michigan state game that we went to that wow yeah i thought that was a great game and that it was, was fun and the crowd was super into it it was yeah I, I think it was this year's michigan state win uh with with rob defending uh cassius winston and everybody was. i had never been in attendance for a court storming before either and that was a court storming. So I, I, that is my new favorite. Previous favorite, I, it, if for a previous favorite, it would have had to have been a win. Um, so I it would have taken. You, didn't get to, and you weren't exactly there for the greatest era of games either. No, I wasn't. I was <laughs> no, no, God, no. Uh, and the games I've gone back and witnessed, uh, we've won them all except for the assembly call meetup, not this past year, but the year before. Yeah, that Ohio State game when Ohio State beat them in double overtime. So yeah, that that was my first loss as a fan since graduating. Ben, what was your favorite game that you were in attendance for? Yeah, as someone who was also not there for the greatest era of games, uh, I also don't have the greatest selection no. to choose from. <laughs> um, I you know the Michigan State game at home. Uh, that that was a good one from this year. The away Michigan State game was another really good one. Oh yeah, I, you were there. That's right. Yeah, that that was great atmosphere. You know, I, I think at the time, it was it like when when Michigan State came to Bloomington, it you kind of felt like okay, maybe IU could win. Like we we've kind of seen enough evidence that that maybe Indiana has what it takes. At that point, when they went into East Lansing, it was like that. <laughs> There's no way, like this, this zero chance. Not going to win. It's one of the most unlikely IU wins I can yeah. ever remember. You, you just thought they had no chance, especially when Jawan went down. And so for them to kind of stay in that, like I just kept waiting all game. Okay, Michigan State's going to make their run. When's it going to happen? I kept waiting for Michigan State to pull away, and it just never happened. Um, I, that was also one of the I think most aesthetically pleasing games uh, offensively for Indiana, really, really and defensively. Um, Made ten three pointers. Yeah, ten to twenty. The Wisconsin game from this season was pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think back maybe last season. Uh, 
the Maryland I, yeah, game. Yeah, I think I think mostly this year we're we're kind of the the cream of the crop. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin and the two Michigan State games I would put up there. Maybe I think I think if I had to give one answer, it would be the game in East Lansing from this past season. Uh, okay, so real quick, fifteen seconds, Ryan. Um, this is from Robert. The only clue Archie has suggested on the free throw problem is repetitions. That only helps if the mechanics are correct. Uh, who's in charge of mechanics? I'm assuming that's Ed Schilling. But what would you do with the free throw shooting? Hire me. No. Uh, <laughs> Ten seconds. It's. I, I think for the most part, the mechanics aren't terrible. It is repetition, and it's not getting dragged into you know, your head and just shooting them with a repetition. You look at Steph Curry. He never, that's it. We're done. No more questions. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for us on this week's episode of the assembly call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for assembly call, wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to six, six, eight, six, six to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next Thursday night. Until then, take from me, Freddie Max Wayne Jr. Keep your elbows in, your eyes on the rim, and man, go up and dunk the ball. Go Hoosers. Thank everybody for coming out. We're <laughs> out of here. I'm, I gotta go. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating. And so many of you have donated and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sorry, finish, Ryan. I had to cut you. We were like 10 seconds over. Oh, no, I just, I mean, it was the same thing. It's just the repetitions and not thinking about it. I mean, you watch Steph Curry take... A free throw. He's not even. He's barely even looking at the rim. Like it's yeah, he's like just, sucking on his mouth guard. And, yeah, yeah. He has the most casual free throw I think I've ever seen. Yeah, and he makes mm-hmm. every single one of them. It's that floppy arm. He just. Yeah, he just. Yeah, it's it, it is. Yeah. It is a lot about repetition. I mean, he's right, but and it's also so free throws are different than your jump shot. Like a lot of guys, you if you actually examine yeah, their jump shots, their free throw form is different. And so free throws, because you're sitting standing still, is a lot about comfort. It's really about what feels comfortable to you. You'll see guys move their bodies sideways. You'll see them take a step off the free throw line, like whatever it is that makes you comfortable. The key is to have a solid release and not and not push it. A lot of guys will release and then kind of bring their hand back, which is terrible because the problem is you get used to doing that, and then you're pulling your hand back while the ball's still on your your fingertips. Is to have it. The key is to have it roll off your fingertips and get backspin. And the release and the rotation are nice. You'll make your free throw. It doesn't matter how you shoot it. If the release and the rotation work, you'll make it. Um, Also, you hear people say bend your knees. It's not about the shot bending your knees. It's about the rhythm of the shot. Because some guys stretch out and then shoot as opposed to going through a motion and releasing it at the right time. So, Like Patrick Ewing, who almost used to fall over at the top of his free throw before releasing it. 
Yes, exa- that's exactly right. And um, Shaq used to do the same thing too, as he would get up and start, he'd say, well, I bent my knees. Well, no, the point of bending your knees isn't that you bend your <laughs> knees. It's about the flow of the shot. So it's heading up as you're heading up and you're releasing at the right point. Um, so really, those are the important things on a free throw. But really, it's the, as far as form goes and things like that, I mean, it's whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you're not going to be thinking about. Like, oh, okay, I've got to adjust my body this way and do this. And, you know, it can't be as mechanical. It's got to just feel comfortable. And then once you're in your stance or once you're in however you're going to set up, it's just about that release and and the rotation you get on the shot. Ryan, you and I have to get in a gym sometime and shoot. Someday, yeah. I've I've heard you can shoot it. Um, not as well as I used to be able to. I haven't, I told these guys in, in Bloomington, as we were talking about doing like playing horses, I mean, I haven't picked up a basketball to shoot around in about six years. Oh my yeah. God. Because <laughs> it's, been, it's been a while for me too. I got so frustrated that I was missing shots. Cause obviously I'm yeah. not as in shape as I used to be. Right. And I have bad knees and a bad ankle. And, um, it was so frustrating that I said, I'm just going to find other ways to work out because this is like, Fair enough. In my mind, I should be shooting like I was when I was 18. You know, I was lethal from the baseline jumper. I was. That I was my lethal spot. jumper. Lethal. Lethal. Right, I, I was ass. a defense first guy. I got to catch up on this game. Yeah, go catch up on the game. Thanks for being here, Ben. Game, but, yeah, uh, great job, Ben. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me on. This was fun. Yeah, we'll do some more of this off season. Yeah, hopefully. Rotate around. Ryan, Sounds thanks for good. being here. And thanks, uh, we'll see everybody next week. Next week. Later. See you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Rocket Pro Insight gives real estate agents full visibility into the loan status of each of their clients, making it easier than ever to help their clients strengthen their offers with a verified approval. Plus, agents can adjust a client's approval letter amount in real time. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate and get the freedom to check a client's progress from anywhere at any time. Offer terms and details. Equal housing lender. Licensed in 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Verified approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.